I think we're in peak metaverse. Can I just say that? It's, it's not real, and it's first. not a thing, and it's just the internet. So that's all I wanted to say. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. They looked at each other, they said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Best Podcast. I saw this thing on BBC that Jen sent me, which was about biodiversity and ecological meltdown in mm. the world but mainly in the uk and then simultaneously there was that thing that went viral about the queen being irritated with inaction on climate change i don't I know if you that. caught all of that yeah i mean it's great that she's gone on the record to say that in advance of cop 26 i don't think she went on the record i think it's a sensitive microphones right it's um what did she say she was uh, just mic'd up. She, this is somewhat, yeah, she was just having a chat with someone and then it got caught on the background bit that she was just saying, I'm just so irritated that people aren't, this is my Queen impression, um, that people aren't actually doing any action about climate change. You know, she's like 95, but fair play. Um, and then Prince William was just like, rich people need to stop spending their money on space, which is interesting. Could be careful throwing stones when your job is to like fly around the world for charity purposes. So the the thing is that when it comes to spending money on space versus the planet, those are not mutually exclusive categories. You know, you might get a lot of benefit from going into space, mm. but also it's not taking away money from, you know, so money is not a zero sum game. And Bill Gates has already put together breakthrough energy ventures. So try try and drive breakthrough technological change to move the needle on reducing greenhouse gases. Mm. And many, many other billionaire philanthropists have done similar things. Um, and they can also go into space as well. <laughs> That's true, true. Um, did you know just that? Get, just get more money off the money tree. There's an infinity amount of money available to be printed q infinity perfect um did you know that the uk is in the bottom 10 percent of nature depleted countries as it's one of the worst okay i didn't so, realize that but it kind of makes sense because <clears throat> we were the one of the first to start industrializing through even if you go back to like agrarian roots but then obviously through the industrial revolution and we've kind of destroyed our natural fauna, which I had no idea. Didn't know that. If you go back like a thousand years, we had bears in the UK. Yeah, and there is talk about rewilding and reintroducing wolves and bears into Scotland and all of that. But yeah. I mean, that that's fine. But are we talking just flora? Because obviously deforestation and well, the, yeah, and the tragedy of the commons and the fact that like, we, you know, turned swathes of land into farmland. Mm. That's... I mean, it's a bit unfair, though, isn't it? I mean, is this on a percentage basis, and does it include flora? Uh, not sure. Not sure how they calculate this biodiversity. There's like a scoring thing that they use, and we're we're one of the worst on it. So I don't okay, know. so it, and it's not. Um, I think it's everything. It's about the diversity of different types of species. Right. So it it's it's the impact in terms of our reduced biodiversity. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. If you're Greenland. And you're mostly ice. Don't you have like an easier job of it? <laughs> because why? What, so what I'm saying is it's unfair, but like point taken. Oh, I, oh, I see. It's un yeah, unfair. Okay. Yeah. Mo moving on. Um, 
don't want to talk about batteries. We Let's talk about batteries. Work. I really want to talk about batteries. You... Are you talking about um, iron-based batteries? Yeah. So They're very, very slow rusting. Jen basically was saying, oh, China have solved this thing. And I know that Tesla already are doing something with iron-based batteries, but basically, is there a point where these batteries that are powering all of these electric vehicles don't require cobalt and rare earth minerals? So, I mean, there's a few things going on here. So there's also... there's doing what Tesla has already done, which is reducing its de dependence on rare earths and cobalt. And you can do all kinds of battery compositions where the battery chemistry doesn't rely on nickel, cobalt, cadmium. And they perform just as good. And they can and they do. So that's one thing. The other big iron story for battery promising battery chemistries is about longer term energy storage. So if you think about the problem that we're facing, it's that you get more solar power in the summer, you get more energy all round in the summer, mm. and then there's intermittency. So how would you do longer term storage? And there's been a few players recently, some of them SoftBank backed, others backed by Jeff Bezos, like Form Energy in the US, who have come out of stealth with a big iron-based iron oxide-based energy storage solution. In other words, use rusting iron as your way of doing seasonal storage at a massive scale, incredibly cheaply for energy. Oh, can you send me some links on that? Maybe we can put links in the show notes. I've never heard of this. Yeah, so that's so... Form Energy, F-O-R-M. But there are others, including a SoftBank-backed one, but it's great to see that form has come out of stealth. I can send you links. I can send you podcasts. The real challenge of energy storage is longer term energy storage, but trying to get the costs down. So you need to use raw materials that are widely available. Mm. And that's why iron is a big story in the battery world. Ah, that is really interesting. Yes, I need to learn. I need to know more about this. Cool. Um, Facebook. We didn't talk about Facebook last week, even though Facebook has been in the news pretty much for the last three weeks running for various reasons. I figured we should probably just cover. There's just all the stuff from the outage, the whistleblower, and even now the thing that I saw the other day around this secret list they have of um, organizations that they block that isn't publicized. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And also things like... Um... The content moderation side of it, oh God, yeah. which I think is which has come, also up. come out, and um, mm, oh yeah, and some things that are rising relating to the leak, which is to do with the impact of Instagram on particularly on young girls in terms yes. of their psychological health, their mental health. Yeah, and that Facebook was aware of it, right? So you're right. There's lots of stuff in there. <laughs> I think. Um, the big takeaway is everyone's got their knives out. And if everyone was going after the big banks, um, the Elizabeth Warrens of this world have turned on big tech and Facebook is the whipping boy. Because like what no one mentions, no one has ever, ever mentioned is YouTube. Do you find that weird? No one's ever mentioned YouTube. No, they did. Remember, there was that point where it it was all a public scandal that if you watch enough kids shows on youtube it funnels you down into some really dark places which 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 i think is still people are aware of this like i was uh, there's no regulatory sort of backlash against you less it doesn't, it doesn't come up but yeah what does come up is 
Facebook is ruining our politics, corrupting our minds, ruining our children's mental health, just destroying everything through its surveillance ad model. Mm. But then kindly, they switch everything off to give us a break and that ruins things further. (laughs) So... They just can't win, can they? Um, they took a they took a day off, turned off Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, pretty much everything, and then a lot of people realised, especially a lot of businesses in um, in developing markets, were like, "Ah, oh, we use WhatsApp to run our business <laughs> because of the business channels," and I was, and they use it to like confirm medical supplies and all this other stuff that people were like, "Ah, oh, yes." Actually, some things that Facebook does might be essential infrastructure that happens to run on on their pipes. Hmm. Fifteen years ago, on the homepage, they changed it so that they said that we're a social utility. There was a point at which it said Facebook helps you connect and share with the people in your life. And then there was another point at which Facebook described themselves as a social utility. That's interesting. The reason I mention that is because, of course, now people are regarding beginning to regard them and also you you talked about how for many businesses some parts of the facebook platform including whatsapp are a critical part of their infrastructure Mm -hmm. for comms the crm i mentioned this because if you're utility you're going to get regulated like a utility or if you're a broadcaster you're going to get regulated like a broadcaster which is why they've moved that if you're a host of content then you're going to get regulated like a media company yeah or, or a newspaper platform and the problem has been we as a society don't know what category to put Facebook in. So the only part that I'm somewhat sympathetic to is content moderation. So let's let's start big and then go into the, the layers, right? So is Facebook inherently insidious and evil? It has a certain culture and it's not been playing very honest and fair on keeping the rules where they are on things like privacy. And it has it crossed the line a lot of times on, on things like moving privacy boundaries around. Yes, it really has. And not in a great way. And is that endemic to its culture? I couldn't say I don't know enough. Go deeper. So how would you as a society try to regulate Facebook? You know what? I think of Facebook more like a nation state than as a platform or utility or tech giant. They have netizens, over a billion people around the world have ID stored credentials, like a passport through the Facebook ID system that have their own policies and rules and moderation and laws basically running completely within the Facebook organization as we've witnessed, where they basically determine what the rules are internally and it evolves internally through their own sort of policy judicial system. And they have now started getting to the stage where they want to have their own currency with the whole, you know, what was it called? Libra DM stuff. I think when you look at the way that they, you know, that Francis, is it Horgan, Hagen? And there's leaked documents talking about how they actively kind of make people angry and hostile to keep them engaged. Resembles very much what like a lot of nation states do in terms of their own internal propaganda and media to keep people divided, but also in a sense, feeling a sense of uh, engagement and identity in politics. So I think I think of them like a nation state. And I think that's maybe where you're seeing regulators really focus on Facebook as an organisation because they actually wield that type of power now. I can kind of see where you're coming from in terms of the apparatus that they have. So what I would say, and this is kind of the the charitable thing I think it's important to recognise, is it's very, very difficult to do content moderation at the scale that Facebook is operating at. 
it's difficult because the people you employ will have mental health issues. It's like horrible. It's difficult because it's human generated content. Like how do you, but you need humans to moderate it by and large. How do you automate that? How do you scale it up? And then how would you handle it if regulation made you liable for it? Thorny problems ahead. Yeah, not sure. Speaking of um, thorny problems and big tech giants, did you see the ruling around Apple versus Epic? I've seen this being resolved in a variety of different courts. There are subsets of the what should we do about the App Store margins okay. ruling. And, well, and that, that has been handled differently depending on which jurisdiction you're speaking about. So tell me more about the, <laughs> the Apple Epic flavor of this. Uh, this is going to be interesting. So there was a US district judge ruling last week, which was basically giving them 90 days to open things up. In other words, Epic won. I know Apple are appealing it, but they basically said that Apple shouldn't be preventing them and putting this 30% fee on top of in-app transactions and preventing Epic from just having their own app in the App Store that does Epic-specific payments. I don't know whether that US district judge ruling, I don't know if that conflicts with other rulings. I didn't see all the others. This was... Isn't there something as a counter move that Apple is now suing Epic for lost revenues or something? Probably. Yeah. I don't know how this plays out, but I, it is an interesting one because Apple are really the, they're the biggest perpetrators of the whole walled garden experience on their platform. Everyone else has kind of allowed Epic and, and other players to have their own payment channel themselves, whereas Apple's very strict in terms of no it's all done through hours. You have to go through hours. We need our 30% cut, which is why I find it really weird when I try to get something on through the Apple App Store, like with Audible, you want to get a book and you just get redirected yeah. through these absolute weird rabbit warrens of yeah. payments thing to try and do it. Versus on Android, it's just like, oh, bye, <laughs> done. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so it's, surreal. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny as well, because they're not allowed to tell you that there is this other way of making the purchase. Oh, they're not allowed, or they just don't want you to know? No, so the developer isn't allowed to tell you. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's not just that you can't have another payment mechanism. It's just that if the transaction happens in the app, then you have to use Apple's payment infrastructure. Which is mad, right? Because you can't And you may have other payment infrastructure. An example would be you're buying a, a non-digital product. So you're buying a lawnmower on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can use the... You can use the Amazon app in iOS and transact, no problem. Now you're buying a Kindle digital product. It's a Kindle book on Amazon, in the Amazon app. Yeah. Okay, so you have the free sample sent to yourself, okay? Uh, but you actually really, really want to buy it, and you're for some reason not on your Kindle. So they can't tell you. Now, Amazon cannot tell you that if you were to use your Safari web browser to navigate to Amazon.com, you would be able to make the purchase there and purchase the Kindle, the digital product, without suffering the iOS, Apple ecosystem 30% tax or without Amazon incurring that. But they are not allowed to tell you that that would be a pathway. So, I mean, again, I think I'm going to come to defense of the person that you wouldn't want me to defend. And the the way I'd defend this is, you know what? Apple built this. This is the house that Apple built. They built it from the ground up. They didn't even think of having an app store when the first iPhone came out. That wasn't really part of the plan. But then they did an app store, and then they did payments, and then they created an ecosystem that actually works. 
Thank God the regulators aren't going to force them to sideload some apps. Forcing Apple to accept other payment mechanisms or to allow other competing payment mechanisms that are not Apple Pay, maybe that's okay. Probably it's going to open up a load of fraud channels, but maybe that's okay. And probably people are going to use Apple Pay first and foremost because it's integrated and it's it's the smoothest rails. So I think they've held out for long enough. I think 30% they've had a really good ride. I know that they load that for people who are making sub 1 million revenue per annum, the smaller developers, mm. uh, don't have to pay as much. And I know that they've lowered that for things that are subscription products and for other types of sale. So it's not truly 30%, but 30% is a lot. But it's they also give people like Amazon a step out on their, on their shopping side, right? When you buy stuff with the Amazon app on an iPhone or iPad, you don't... This is a distinction between physical products and digital goods. Ah, that's why I said the lawnmower versus the lawnmower. But so if you bought like I don't know who buys MP3s, but if you bought an MP3 through Amazon, even though it's through the the app app, it still would wouldn't let you, or it would it would route you through the Apple route. Yeah, mm, you've chosen a really bizarre example, but yes. Do people buy songs? No. Um, cool. Let's see what happens. I I still use Android or the web browser to buy all that stuff, so don't get affected by it. I think it's time for not a sponsor. Back when people were in the office, do you remember a thing called Waso? W-A-S-O? No. It was that Japanese bento delivery service, and they would come around to the front of the building, and you'd get a notification. You could go downstairs and pick up your freshly handmade and lovingly prepared Japanese box lunch. Oh, I remember this. And then during the lockdown, they pivoted and started doing home delivery on a named day of the week for your area it was like oh, in your area we will come on a tuesday and what is wasso wasso is just incredible delicious food very affordable so they've got a price guarantee if you can find the same equivalent food cheaper they'll refund you or something they don't add any preservatives they're prepared from scratch by japanese chefs and most of the ingredients are from suppliers that also serve michelin starred restaurants this is wasso.tokyo and it's yes incredible japanese food that's delivered to you from six pounds 65 and upwards it's kind of a, a lovely meal and you could heat it up in the oven or you could microwave it or you could heat the individual ingredients in the appropriate way by frying this and and and, and whatever it is steaming that or you could have it cold i suppose they serve lots of big brands in the corporate world with their corporate delivery scheme where they bring it to you in the office but today's thing is all about if you happen to live in the UK or in London specifically and you want some delicious Japanese food brought to you, very affordable Japanese food in a box brought to you, then sign up to waso.tokyo. There'll be a link in the show notes that gets you some money off your next meal, specifically £3 off your next meal using a referral code. Authentic Japanese cuisine, waso.tokyo. That's W-A-S-O dot Tokyo is this week's non-sponsor. That's really cool. I've just had a look on their website and my day is Thursday. <laughs> so that's really cool. Yeah, it keeps well as well and you can freeze it. Amazing. Great non-sponsor. So I think it's time for this week in crypto. Market update. Yeah, so a number go up. Reason? No one <laughs> needs a reason. No one has a reason. There are no reasons, Jonathan. You've been in crypto long enough. You know this. It started this week, 54,000. Now we're at 62,000 US dollars for Bitcoin. 
other numbers also went up. There was a time early in the week where alts were suffering whilst Bitcoin boomed. Now, broadly speaking, everything's doing quite well. Filecoin's a bit down. Surprised to see Binance is up there. Solana's had a wobble, but it's now back in a really healthy place. And that was this week in crypto markets. Did you see the rumors around a Bitcoin futures ETF? Well, I saw some rumors, but I also saw some confirmed ETFs. What What's the latest news? It looks very much like they've been unofficially confirmed, right? On Twitter. Like people are already <laughs> integrating them into like Bloomberg terminals as of time of recording. So I have a feeling, yeah, when the when the business week starts, all of these things will get announced properly. Um, Tell me what is the actual... So an exchange-traded fund means that big institutional money can buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the Bitcoin, the big boys have arrived. That's that's why this is significant. Well, it's kind of not because it's a futures market, and this is why I wanted to discuss it separately. Because last time you asked me about what's paper settled versus or cash settled versus physically settled, and futures is all just contracts, right? It's not. There's never any on-chain real Bitcoin moving hands. And what's interesting about a futures ETF, which I didn't know, is that uh, I think it's like ten or fifteen percent of that fund is actually just bonds anyway. It's not even Bitcoin. And so, and then all the contracts have like margins on them. And so really, if you wanted to get exposure to Bitcoin in a serious way, it's a bit of a expensive way of doing it. So I saw mixed reviews about it. And the most interesting one was Val Paul, who's the Real Vision guy. He tweeted about this saying that issuing the Bitcoin futures ETF is a good step, but basically handing hedge funds a massive arbitrage opportunity because futures will trade at a large premium in bull phases and they get the ability to capture those returns. And he called this an old financial market trick, which is that rather than that offering an ETF where you get to buy Bitcoin, like real Bitcoin, this is basically adding loads of intermediaries. So an ETF provider, clearinghouse, futures broker, administrator, auditor, law firm, hedge funds, getting the arbitrage opportunities it's like great for wall street uh, kind of sucks for anyone who actually wants to just buy bitcoin because you might as well just buy bitcoin through the any number of means that already exist right well they can continue to buy bitcoin through any means that exist mm. however the hedge funds also making a healthy cut from this does it take away anything from the health of bitcoin the health of the ecosystem I worry that it gives a very, very good opportunity to short Bitcoin and make a ton of money on all the hype. That's what I worry about. And that might not play out. You're talking about market manipulation. No, I'm talking about it being a local top. So all the hype has led up to this. We're approaching Bitcoin all-time highs. People are talking about an ETF getting approved. Very exciting. Once it gets approved the logical thing for your hedge funds and everyone else who's got it is you just can just short the market and just and just capitalize on it in the short term and like there's no what's the incentive to just buying and holding it you're having to pay all these extra fees it's not like holding it you know like on your corporate balance sheet this is just short term trading so hmm i'm not super excited by it i'm waiting to see what happens once so, the excitement wears off. You think that the institutional 
actors will precipitate a crash. Not a crash, but I definitely think they'll they'll use it for what it's for, which is trading and arbitrage opportunities, not for investing in Bitcoin. This isn't a chance. This is, You don't do a Bitcoin futures ETF to go and hold Bitcoin. It's there to hedge your risk and to trade off the volatility. So, yeah, it's kind of weird, actually, that there's been so much emphasis recently from regulators around protecting people, and yet this is the thing that they approve first. It's like, this is good for Wall Street. That's it. It's not... How many normal people actually need a Bitcoin futures ETF? It only benefits the intermediaries and the funds. That's it. Right. Well, yeah. (laughs) I think the thing that you said that was a little bit problematic was the rate... Anyway, so, and I see here that... Are we getting cancelled? No, no, that's that's not, it's not a cancel type territory. It's more like you're beating up on the regulators, but they're having a difficult time, okay? Because (laughs) it's not clear within the US regulatory landscape who this should be regulated by, this sort of thing. Any of the parts, like, is should DeFi be, what is it? Who's it protecting? Is that these securities, are they not? What is the, so you're saying that the the regulators are being hypocritical, but actually they're trying to determine between themselves who's, and, and some of these regulatory roles literally do not ex- exist. They're in white spaces. Now, I see here that the Valkyrie Bitcoin Strategy ETF from a letter that I, is dated on Friday looks like the NASDAQ has approved the listing of that ETF at least. So ETFs are on. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, it's a big shift. It's a really, it's a validation for the whole space. So that's a very good thing in the long run. Um, now, this week, speaking of people in a regulatory role sounding the alarm, Sir John Cunliffe, the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, said that Bitcoin was would quite possibly trigger a global financial crisis and that as a matter of urgency, cryptocurrencies need to be regulated. That was, it was an interesting one because he compared it to, you know, the financial crisis and and, and specifically the, the amount of money that it takes or asset wealth i guess to to cause a financial crisis isn't that much i think the subprime mortgage crash of 2008 was i think a 1.5 trillion dollar market and that that kind of tipped it over to the the crash that we had so he's saying okay bitcoin's now over a trillion dollars the crypto market itself is over two trillion dollars we're seeing stable coins and DeFi and everything else yeah, I think that people have cherry-picked certain things he said around matter of urgency and needs regulation, but I think some of the things he's targeting is more around, it's more around sort of stable coins and the regulatory side. And I don't know how to think of it, really, other than this is quite a big deal that someone like this is talking about it. Yeah, I mean, on stable coins, he's absolutely right. On Bitcoin specifically, the irony is that embedded into that first block is the headline from the Times of London in the first block of Bitcoin mm. that says the Chancellor of the Exchequer bails out the banks for the second time. And this is this is actually meant to fix the global financial system. In the long run, I think it, there's an element of this where he's, a, he's kind of calling out that there's still a lot of opacity when it comes to who's involved, which institutions, how much money is involved and, and, and the lack of the lack of regulation. But uh, regulation is unlikely to be 
the thing that fixes this. I think stable coins need need regulation. Um, I think everything else that gets regulated seems to just end innovation and introduce enormous costs and not do the thing that it was meant to do. It seems to shore up the position of entrenched interests. But it's interesting. In his speech, he actually is not super negative. You know how um, a lot of people, a lot of politicians especially, they speak about this space and all they talk about is, oh, fraud and, and funding bad things and, and buying drugs and they don't really know what's going on. He talked about it in an interesting way, which was that he said that it's, they need to be careful not to overreact. We should not classify new approaches as dangerous simply because they're different. Innovation, technology and new players can tackle long-standing frictions and inefficiencies and reduce barriers to entry. Throughout history, they have been key to driving improvement and to increasing resilience in financial services. So he's kind of... Um, his, his actual speech, if you, if you go through it, was not as one-sided. It was actually saying this is a really important space, but I think he's calling out all of the potential risks that need regulation because, mm. like you said, they're doing a good job. I might be being too critical on how, how they're approaching it, but there's some stuff that is potentially of a systemic risk to the traditional financial system because they're now involved in a big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, you voted in a DAO. We talked about decentralized autonomous organizations a few times and we talked about governance tokens and how they're kind of like nothing, you know, useful. But then I thought, okay, you know, Shapeshift, decentralized. So Shapeshift, who was one of the early swap exchanges of 2017, and they gave you all those governance tokens. With the Fox. Yeah, it was its own thing. Familiar and... with it. And now you've got some tokens, the Fox tokens, and that allows you to vote in the decentralized autonomous organization. So this is really interesting because like, they are the first company to kind of go from a real company to a decentralized company like in a, in a kind of dismantling way. And so their Discord is very, very active. They do live stand-ups, you know, like daily, like the daily stand-ups. They have weekly meetings. They have Ask Me Anything things like very, almost every day. They've put out roadmaps, developer guidance, all of these things. But then they have a lot of proposals that people can bring and then you can vote on them. And so I thought, this is interesting. Let's try voting using the little power that I have in this governance organization. So you can go to their the platform that handles all their proposals and votes. And there were some proposals they had around commissioning these different NFTs using the Shapeshift DAO treasury. I voted against that. There was one around endorsing their roadmap that they planned for up until the end of December, which is actually a pretty solid roadmap in terms of um, integrations and cross-chain integrations they want to get. So I voted for. But yeah, it was really easy. It was really easy. It's interesting. There's lots of discussion that happens. It's not evangelical voice says X, everyone just follows like a herd. There's actually like channels about debate on this thing because it's such a, I'd say it's the most, one of the most active DAOs that's really, really trying to behave like a DAO because it's, it's gone from a real company governance structure and it's slow. And so that, that exists, which I guess gives it really, really good structure. And it's trying to transition into how that can be more decentralized, which is what makes this a very interesting one. Mm. Decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO. I mean, when any country becomes decentralized autonomous organization, how will it be? So you'll log in with your wallet into a browser and that will be your identity and then you'll be able to vote. So in this example, what you did is you logged in using MetaMask mm -hmm. and then you 
had a series of motions in front of you and mm-hmm. you clicked yes or no. Yeah. Okay, so basically like an AGM. Yeah. But you did it but you did it in real time. Um, you didn't have to do it in advance. They put the proposals on and they're valid for like a week or two. So you can okay. view critique and then and then they obviously close them once it's passed off. I and mean, what you're talking about is voting. Yeah. That's what you yeah, voting. I've heard of that. Okay. <laughs> so the, the the metaverse is gonna have a commons too, right? Oh my god, this is the non fungibles which uh, it's another podcast that talks about NFTs. That's really good. They um they tweeted about this, basically saying, "Will we see portions of the metaverse, this thing that doesn't currently exist in any common sense? Will we see parts of that become publicly owned? What defines public versus private? And then will we see a publicly run DAO? So all kind of aligned with this stuff. And I started thinking about it and thought we should discuss it because public ownership, quote unquote public, is really different. It's difficult to really describe in a decentralized system because everything is kind of individually private. So the idea of some, there isn't like a government, right? So public is a very difficult concept, but real decentralization becomes akin to the commons of cyberspace, which could be really cool. And I was starting to think about, imagine you've got Decentraland and at the moment you can buy a parcel of land as Doug, or I can buy one as me. And I can transfer it to other people, but I can never really make it public. I was thinking, imagine there was a way of essentially sending that to 0x000, like a burn address for Ethereum, where no one owns it, but still enabling other people to use it. So it's kind of part of the commons. That would be quite an interesting concept in the future metaverse, where you could basically have parts of land where no one can actually own it, but there by definition, everyone kind of owns it. Mm. So you could do that by fractional ownership? But that's kind of not what you mean. What you mean is the equivalent of the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Or, 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 or the commons, so, right? If it was like a digital so commons. I'm going to build out on this idea. Right? <laughs> so in, in the U.S., there's um, obviously there's loads of beautiful parks and there's national parks. And, you know, the funding for that comes from ultimately, I guess, the taxpayer. And then there's a national mall, which in a country that doesn't have much of stuff that's like this is really remarkable because it's beautiful. It's publicly funded. It's clearly expensive and it's got lots of monuments and other stuff in it. And it's a huge, huge expanse of space in the middle of Washington, D.C., a major city. Mm. Now, what you're saying is in the metaverse, would there be something that's like that? And public spaces are really important. And they usually require maintenance and upkeep and certain rules to be enforced around them. And what's nice is that developers don't come along and build luxury condos in the middle of them. So there should be something like that in the metaverse because public space is important. You know, this is where you gather to celebrate the inauguration or the State of the Union address. This is like, and it's where discussion happens. It's where civil society happens in public spaces. Really important. But um, it doesn't map across as an analogy because in the metaverse, like you could have some space that's designated from building regulations, zoning laws that you <laughs> can't build on it. And that's fine. Like that's okay. That's public space enough. I think it's good to have like gathering points and meeting points. I don't think you need to set up a trust. I think, I think land is like where it becomes relevant, right? 
So in the UK, the National Trust has looked after some old buildings and it's a trust. So there's a foundation that keeps paying money for the upkeep and maintenance of building plus garden. Mm. And then middle class people can get in a car and go to <laughs> see that thing every weekend. And they feel really smug and they have a little sticker that they can put in their window. So well done them. Now, the thing equivalent to that in the metaverse is kind of hard to... Do you know what I mean? It's kind of hard to, I think it would be an object. I think it's more like what you're saying. I have this thing. It's the first, it's Pikachu. When Pokemon does NFTs properly, I have the Pikachu card. There is no other Pikachu. I've got the only one. And I'm going to, instead of handing it on for generational wealth to my offspring, I'm going to set up a foundation that will own this Pikachu card and display it in the pantheon of art at the center of the metaverse. And that's and the, the that'll be held in trust as a public good. Mm. And I want it to always it'll be a condition of my bequeathing it that it was always available for public display in the metaverse. That might be how this plays out. And but then you'd need trusts or public trusts that are essentially run as DAOs, where for example, Decentraland, you'd have yeah, to have it's a foundation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know if you've solved it, <laughs> but I think it'd be interesting to see where that goes because it, it's inevitable, right? If, if more things move to the metaverse and it becomes interoperable and a common cyberspace where we all go and exist that's not just owned by one organization, you need to have stuff like that. So maybe you'll have like, can you have multiple public trusts? I guess the, in theory you could, like anyone from the pub, anyone can actually join it. I think we're in peak metaverse. Can I just say that? It's, it's not real and it's first. not a thing and it's just the internet. So that's all I wanted to say. Let's talk about <laughs> this week in NFTs. This week in NFTs. Um, Coinbase news. Go. Coinbase is launching NFTs. I see that that's happening. There's referral links. We're not going to include them in our show notes. Find your own referral link and uh, <laughs> you can... Um, that's the one thing people might actually want. <laughs> incredibly popular. So everyone's really just Coinbase. When Coinbase does NFTs, oh my goodness, everyone is excited about this. There's so little written about it. That's what's interesting. There's a there's a waiting list now of I don't know how many million people. And the Coinbase blog, you go to what they've said about what they're doing. It's very minimal. They're just like, yeah, NFTs are really transformational. They're so important. We as Coinbase are going to get involved. Oh, blah, 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 blah. But like, what are they going to list? They've got pictures though, of because artists, they had to but... um, they had to shut down their whole lend program because of the SEC. Is it earn? Yeah, it earn? no, they it, had to it's shut down the uh, uh, lend lend one yield. <laughs> they were probably quite sad to put that to bed. But then this NFT thing has has spun up, and oh my goodness, what a lucrative opportunity to take. Uh, one to three percent cut of every transaction on the platform it's going to be incredible so are they going to move so this is what i want to understand if it's coinbase surely cryptopunks apes a lot of the kind of original nfts they have to move there right they have to get listed there as well as OpenSea, because there's no other way to compete with OpenSea unless you can pull volume away from there and then i thought okay well coinbase probably aren't going to go the OpenSea route of just like just let any see what sticks against the wall. They will probably act as a curator, I would have thought, because of their reputation and their brand and the way that they were very selective with what they listed. If you think about the digital assets, they were for a while you could only do Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, maybe like one other. Like it was very 
they weren't the Binance. They were the selective, we will vet this thing before it goes on. And I think they'll do that for NFTs. Yeah, means... Similarly, by virtue of receiving that blessing, anything that listed popped. Exactly, right? The Coinbase effect. So the same thing might happen for NFTs. And that's interesting because we've talked a lot about legacy auction houses being, you know, the arbiters of what's quality art. Whereas Coinbase almost are like what's, they're the arbiters of what's a legitimate verified NFT collection in a way that the OpenSea tick kind of just doesn't cut it, (laughs) you know. It's like verified by OpenSea gives you some confidence that it's not a scam, but it doesn't actually give it a social credit the way that a Coinbase listing would. So I'm very excited about this whole thing. And part of me was wondering, I wonder if there's going to be behind the scenes a Coinbase Pro OTC option where like top tier NFT, you know, the big punk sales, whether that gets marketed to the Michael Saylor audience of people who want to do it behind the scenes. And Coinbase definitely has a plan for that because that's like, that's their thing, right? Volume-wise. It's the Coinbase Pro side. Coinbase Pro, behind the scenes, their over-the-counter desk must have access to a lot of high net worth individuals. I'm sure they're going to send them an email and go, we have this rare alien punk thing that we're listing you know, do you want to get involved? <laughs> they m- must do. Um, True story. True story. Did you? Um, you're you're a Shiba person. Did you see? <laughs> did you see that they broke Ethereum? I see, it's been very popular. What did it do to gas fees? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I'm not a Shiba person, but I, I was like, I have this little plugin in the browser that tells you the gas fees. Just a hilarious number, and I just it was going to some stupid things i thought there's a bug there's something going wrong what is happening and they looked at um uh, what's it called ultrasound money you know the one that's like yeah. looking at um, ultrasound.money it looks at um ethereum's burn rate and everything was shipper like the shipper whatever they're called nfts that they've launched pushed ethereum gas fees to like 900 quay which is you know, right now they're at 90, which I consider to be quite high. <laughs> the fact that they went to 900 was <laughs> stupid. And then I was like, what is what is going on? That's absurd. And then I looked at what the top offenders were, and it was like the contract wallet for Shiba NFTs, and then Leash, and then Shiba Swap, and then Shiba Token. And I just like, it was hilarious because the way they'd constructed this thing, from what I can tell, is like you needed to hold ship to qualify and you also had to use shiba swap to get the nft mint and then you had to pay for it in a leash which is i think different from ship but kind of yeah. also a thing and then conduct it using ethereum with the contract wallet basically just spamming the network anyway i i, I hear i think a lot of people might have got burned by paying stupid gas fees because I don't know if this is a very important or valuable NFT or whether it's just another ridiculous jumping on the bandwagon. But you didn't get any. No, but I do have some leash, so... (laughs) (laughs) So you could have... Yeah. Um, So these Shiboshis are doing really well. Shiboshis, that's the name. Mm. You know what? I'm just imagining a lot of people listening are thinking, what has gone wrong they seem to have lost their minds talking about leash and shipper swap and all these things so we should move on to that topic that makes a bit more sense which is turning down 9.5 million dollars yeah for so that there is somebody whose name is richard and he has a crypto punk 
which was the old school pixelated NFT picture mm-hmm. of a punk. Uh, he turned down $9.5 million for that this week. Why did that happen? He wrote a whole thread about it, which TLDR was more or less along the lines of my punk's not for sale. It doesn't matter how much. Someone tried to test that theory with a 2,500 ETH bid, which is, yeah, $9.5 million. And he was like, no, not selling it. Even he just declined the offer, which is just mad. And basically his thesis was that punk, which is punk 6046, which has the 3D glasses and is kind of like a semi-rare mid-tier one, has basically been the brand that he's built around it, which has its own DAO, its own crypto art, its own company projects that are all based on that identity and that he can't sell it for anything because he's got big plans in future. And it was just really funny. And my brother sent me this and was just like, well, this is weird. And I was thinking about it. And I don't know. Seems like a lot of money to turn down. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's funny, isn't it? They say that everyone has their price. (laughs) It's not that then. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, you might have built a brand around it, but... Could you make another brand? (laughs) (laughs) So the only way way I could rationalise this was I I ignored his whole like, this is my brand thing. And that maybe the whole thing around this is that the whole non-fungible part is important, right? So there's 10,000 punks in existence, but there's actually only um, like 3,000 holders, if you think. A lot of them own multiple. And so... CryptoPunks are like the singularity for NFTs. They're the original, it's where it began. And it's the beginning of a potentially trillion dollar market in future. If they, you know, once you bring physical assets and all the other digital assets that would ever get made as NFTs. And so maybe there's just like plenty of people who could have nine and a half million dollars, but actually only 10,000 who could ever own a punk. So maybe there's a kind of pricelessness to it. Which is really hard to talk about because like nine and a half million dollars is this crazy amount of money. Unstoppable have launched this beta, which is called Login, which I think is quite cool. And basically allows, it adds utility to decentralized domain names. So like the domain names that I bought previously, basically they're saying that now becomes your identity. So you can just log in with your wallet as long as you hold that domain name, just by signing it with your wallet. Mm. Okay. But, I mean... Fine. It would be so something you have and something you know, and the thing that you have is an NFT that's held in a wallet that you own. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite cool. I have Tell a feeling me. like it's the alternative to the password manager, right? In future. Yeah, and what's good about it is that you can transfer it to a different wallet. Presumably, that's also what's bad about it. <laughs> Tell me about what's POAP. It's not plan on a page. I know that's what you're thinking when you read it. Like, this is a Gantt chart. <laughs> I've seen some great POAPs in my time. But, so yeah, I've seen I've seen POAP, P-O-A-P, around a lot. What is that? Proof of attendance protocol. So I potentially have got one from the AMA. And I got one from the Time event. So Time Magazine's big, big event that I failed to get in on. They sent me a POAP, which is basically a token that proves that you were in attendance somewhere. This is, you're laughing, but this is genuinely one of the things that makes sense with NFTs in like real commercial settings. Because right. once you have physical and digital events, 
the engagement factor of you yeah. being there, the proof yeah. that you were there, yeah, starts to become something that's tangible that builds up your identity. So it's like you are the sum of all the places you've been, or the concerts you've attended, or yeah. the you know car showroom stuff where they're like, "Oh, come and see this big launch." You could get a POAP that could then entitle you to other things in future. It becomes a token of membership that's done by participation, which is really cool. Except that it's transferable. Well, no, that's what's really interesting about it, right? Because it is transferable, therefore it actually has some value. So you can mm-hmm. imagine, say there's on a, a Mulberry bag launch fashion event that you go to. There might be people who couldn't attend, but really, really want all the things that that now entitles you to. And so it has a saleable value. Your participation in something, your physical act or digital act of, of joining something might be valuable to someone. It's like, you know, when people used to, well, they still do, pay someone to stand in line in the Apple store to get the latest phone. It's that, but it's mm. the tokenized version. And for companies that are looking at NFTs, this is this is where it's at because you can't make sense of digital art and crypto punks and the kind of ethereal social value around the movement. But you can definitely make sense of this. This is, this is participation with customers it's the b2c transaction but monetized and allowing you mass extensibility through not sign up to my mailing list or you know join my subscription thing but actually participate in our community and we will reward you and then you suddenly get all of this value add afterwards it's cool yeah i think it might be time for crypto punk or crypto funk cool i will go first first one uh canaria so this is kind of like a game of collectibles and you kind of get these like eggs that hatch and they're canaries when they are born. But this, the thing that makes this really cool is that the bird's properties and traits evolve whilst it's an egg based on how people like react to it. So you can send like emojis, like different ones. And depending on how the community reacts, it gives it different traits. So like uh, smiley faces would give it like a happy mood and like uh, crying ones make it a sad canary. And you can give different ones of like, uh, you know, say you sent it lots of cat faces, it would have cat properties or be more agile. Yeah, it's kind of like an evolutionary dynamic NFT collectible. Okay, tell me your next one. Next one, Halloweeny babies. So this is 6,666 3D avatar hover babies that you can mint on the Ethereum blockchain. It hasn't been launched yet. Next Thursday is the launch date, but it's the first, well, they say it's the first NFT horror genre game with a generative timeline. So yeah, each Halloweeny baby has certain traits and the tropes are based off horror movies. So it's like suspense or jump scares or gore or psychological thriller or the paranormal. And the developers are building out this game based on all these different traits and people having these Halloweeny babies. And yeah, they've got a cool team behind it. So those are my two. In the first one, in Canaria, how are you supposed to send the emojis how does it interact with the emojis? So there's a there's a, like a, a website where you can see all the different eggs that are there. And you can basically just as a person with your wallet, you just react. If you're part of that community, you just react with these things. And so some people would like spam them to make them have, you know, send poop emojis to make them really like warp into different properties. Uh, it's a community based game. Okay. So yeah. the crypto funk... 
is the Halloweeny babies, and the crypto punk is Canaria. What makes you say that? It's just I know deep in my bones. It's just a fact, Jonathan Tipper. Okay, you 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 may be right. It's really cool, Canaria. Runs on Kasama. <laughs> All right, it's my turn. Go for it. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Okay. So the first one is doggy, and that's you, uh, ten. You're ten, saying do- Doge wrong. No, doggy, <laughs> and that's ten thousand dogs. <sighs> and um, yeah, like um, they have accessories, dog accessories, and various things like they wear stuff. Okay, you know, you get it, right? It's dogs. And then the other one, are you ready? I'm ready. It's fro- froggy. Yeah. Froggy, okay. Yeah, and that is 8,000. So note that it's 8,000, not 10,000. It's 8,000 different frogs. Okay, and they wear, they've got different things on, like glasses and scarves and hats. And there's different characteristics and features, like eye blinking or tongue stretching. These are terrible. So... So those are the two. <laughs> I feel like you put in no effort into these. Ask me which platforms they're on. Which platforms are they on? You can get Doggy on Bakery Swap, and you can get Froggy on a BSC if you go on Pancake Pancake Swap. Is Bakery Swap a thing? I know you confuse me more. Um, yeah, bakery, bakery Swap. Yeah. These are abysmal. I'm just going to take a punt on this and just suggest that maybe Froggy's real and Doggy is not. So, Doggy is the Crypto Funk. Complete the thought. And Froggy is the Crypto Punk. Well, Jonathan, uh, I regret to inform you that uh, Doggy is in fact real. So, that's the Crypto Punk. Meanwhile, Froggy is very obviously a Crypto Funk. There are only 8,000 of them. It's not, anyway. Um, so, uh, Doggy is absolutely real, and you can get it on Bakery Swap, and there are 10,000 of them. None of those are real things. Like, ba- what is Bakery Swap? So, in, in Bakery Swap, if you go into the gamification section, you can get your NFTs. <sighs> I didn't even get to the part that's really cool about Canaria, which is that it's entirely on-chain on Kusama. So, it's like, it's, there's no smart contracts. It's just on-chain graffiti that adds up to make this thing. It sounds, it's, sounds grand. It's really, it's really cool. Um, Excellent pod. Talk to you next week. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Bye. Okay, bye. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. They looked at each other. They said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden.